are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And today on the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, we are discussing third base options for the D-backs in 2022. Yes, even though the lockout is still going on, we don't know who's playing third base for the D-backs next season. So I got some candidates, got the pros, got the cons, and we're going to run through the list and decide who should be playing third base for the D-backs next season. So let's jump right into it. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks still here. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, MillerThomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account or just look up Locked On Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked On Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be doing this podcast without you, the listener, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But as I said before on today's pod, we are discussing third base candidates for the D-backs in 2022. I got a list of pros and cons for each player. We're just detailing the pros and cons through the first two segments of these four players I have. And then in segment number three, I'll actually give you my conclusion and my opinion as to who should be the starting third baseman. But now we're just going to make the cases for each player. And the first player I want to start off with is not someone you guys saw a ton last year, but is someone you did see on the major league level because he made his debut with the D-backs last season. He was 25 last year, going to be 26 this season. And this is someone that was a second round pick back in 2017. Can you guess who I'm talking about yet? I'm talking about Drew Ellis. This is someone, if we went through his pros before doing the cons, this is someone, like I said, Second round pick back in 2017, so he's got the pedigree. He's still young, only 26 years old, and he's a big guy too. 6'3", 205, got a nice frame on him. Let me make sure my phone's on Do Not Disturb so I don't get any random notifications during this pod. But this is someone we saw a little bit last year. We didn't see him a ton, but he was, you know, not the greatest last year, and we'll talk about that during the cons section. But if we're going to talk about the positivity first, we got to talk about what this guy at least did on the AAA level. We'll talk about the major league level in a second, but on the AAA level last year, Drew Ellis was very productive as a hitter in 81 AAA games last season, a 294 average, a 1014 OPS, and he had 20 home runs. So he definitely showed you something last season that we really didn't see enough from him during his time in the minors, probably since he was back in college. This was definitely his best season as a pro in a D-backs uniform. I mean, a nearly 300 average and over 1,000 OPS, like, 
And most of that OPS, that slugging percentage, was attributed to those 20 home runs. Now, it does make you wonder, is he hitting 20 bombs because he's playing in Reno, a place that typically higher altitude produces more home runs? It's kind of like the cores of the minor leagues. Like, is that the case? I don't know, but at least there seems to be some untapped slugger potential with the with the Drew Ellis. And right now, if he's going to be playing third base, you, of course, got to be able to play that position defensively. There's a lot of question marks about Drew Ellis coming into the organization when he was first drafted, whether or not he could stick over there at third base. A lot of people thought he was eventually going to have to move over to first base. But during his time in the minors, he has worked tremendously, has made great strides defensively. And now he's considered probably an above-average defensive third baseman. So I wouldn't mind seeing him at the hot corner next season. Plus, he has a plus arm. Plus, he has plus arm strength defensively i probably should have phrased that better but it's above average arm strength which is very important of course for playing third base because that's a pretty deep throw i don't know when's the last time i've been on a baseball diamond but i would love to try the throw from third base to first and the deep hop the deep crow hop is that how you say it from shortstop deep in the hole at shortstop to first base i just want to see if i can do it at least consistently i know i have the arm strength to actually throw it over there but if i had 10 tries could i go eight for 10 throwing across the diamond I don't know. It's just one of those things like, can a can a random guy off the street get two points in an NBA game if he plays 30 minutes? I don't know. Can I throw across the diamond? Definitely not within a baseball game trying to throw out someone. But could I just, no one on the bases, could I throw across the diamond? Yeah. Can I do it consistently? Now that's another question. Another pro, translatable raw power, as I talked about before, Drew Ellis. A lot of untapped raw power with Drew Ellis, and we've definitely seen some practical raw power so far in the minor leagues and i think his power is projectable and translatable to the mlb level so the d-backs are a team that does not have a lot of sluggers they're not going to have as of right now if anyone plays 140 games next season if if the d-backs have 15 players play 140 games next season among position players the only two that would bet on to get at least 20 home runs is Ketel Marte, of course, and Dalton Varsho. So if someone like Drew Ellis with 140 MLB games, if he could get to 20 home runs, he might be a valuable asset for this D-backs team. And also, just a little fun fact, he was 5 for 16 when batting 8th last season. I don't know why. I don't know what it was for him batting 8th, but as a young guy, I think the low-pressure environment at the bottom of the batting order would work out tremendously for him he's probably gonna be at the bottom of the batting order again if he was given the third base opportunity so i do like the fact that he was productive at the bottom of the batting order especially batting eighth because if there's no universal dh you're still gonna have a pitcher there so it's basically like he's the leadoff hitter once again for this d-backs team so that wouldn't be too bad but what are the cons the downsides to a drew ellis well as i mentioned before he struggled last year on the major league level and it was bad offensively in 69 MLB at bats I'm not gonna make any joke about that number he had a 130 batting average and a 480 OPS the offensive numbers were just absolutely putrid for Drew Ellis he just could never get in a rhythm he was pretty much you know, a season-long slump on the MLB level and that's where he really str- starts to struggle with his mechanics when he starts to enter that slump he kind of goes away from his approach at least that's what the scouting report says so he needs to be someone that stays in rhythm and stays, you know, on the on the same path uh, every day with his swing. Otherwise, it could get, you know, a little bit out of control and they could see that strikeout 
rate raise because Ellis is someone, if you look at his minor league numbers, he's basically struck out twice as many times as he's walked, which is always a concern, especially when you're doing that in the minor leagues. It's not going to get any easier for you once you make it to the majors. And this is also someone, if we looked at, obviously, 294 average last season AAA, but if you look at what he did in majors and what he's done so far throughout his minor league career, this is someone that has struggled to consistently hit for average since leaving college. So it does make you weary that the only time he did hit for average is in AAA Reno, a place where dudes usually have great offensive success. So that does make me a little bit hesitant. He's still raw, not a ton of experience on the major league level, but that goes without saying. So that's just another probably knock against him. Like, can you give this guy a full season of reps and opportunities if he's barely been able to do it? If he doesn't have a lot of reps under his belt already in the minors, I'm not too sure. So we'll see. He's still a pretty raw guy at third base overall. Frame could also get a little bit bigger. As I mentioned, he's 6'3", 205. So I wouldn't be surprised if over the year he puts on a little bit more weight and he gets too big to play third base and maybe he has to move over to first base eventually. But like most people who have that discussion, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. And the biggest knock against Drew Ellis last season on the major league level, again, small sample size, or I think this was maybe total last year, but he earned a negative three defensive run saved in 137 innings at third base. Just not good enough. So Drew Ellis definitely struggled at third base last year, offensively on the major league level. Wasn't great defensively last year, but people have been really happy with his strides defensively. And plus, when you also combine his raw power that he might have, might be a 20-plus home run guy, he's definitely going to be an interesting candidate for the D-backs next season. I'm definitely curious to see what he can do if, if we get a spring training, because at this point of the lockout discussions, it seems like spring training is in grave danger. Now, I thought I was going to have enough time to talk about my next candidate on this list, but I'm guessing I'm going to have to save a candidate for number three at the rate I'm doing this pod. So we'll talk about the next candidate on my list for segment number two. But before we get there, I first need to talk to you guys about Built Bar because this episode is brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If you're it's about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar because those other protein bars are chalky, waxy, or they taste like a chemical spill, but not Built Bar. It's covered in 100% real chocolate, soft, easy to chew, low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for that keto diet. If you want your own Built Bar, guess what? Just go to Built.com, and if you use promo code LOCK15, you'll get 15% off your first order. Promo code LOCK15 for 15% off, Built.com. All right, all right, all right. Ooh, I closed my next ad read. I'm not supposed to be doing that, so let me open it back up. All right. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod, and let's discuss the next candidate on my list. And I got Nick Ahmed written down as a potential third baseman for the D-backs next season. I know, seems a little bit like a surprise because he's been synonymous with shortstop during his time with the D-backs, and he's been, honestly, arguably, the best defensive shortstop in baseball, like full stop. You can definitely put Nick Ahmed for 
you could put Ahmed in the conversation for best defensive shortstop throughout his major league career. It'll be a conversation between him, Jose Iglesias, Andrelton Simmons. I don't know. You guys can make the list, but Nick Ahmed is definitely on that list. But when you look at his pros and cons, once again, like a Drew Ellis, we're going to start with the Nick Ahmed pros. And the first pro that I think is the biggest pro of just Nick Ahmed and his entire career is his defensive wizardry. And I think those defensive skills would still translate over to third base. Now, I don't think he'll be as good a third baseman because I don't think I don't think your arm has to be as strong if you're playing shortstop, but it is also probably less of a mental position playing third base. Probably has to do a lot more thinking playing shortstop. So I guess there's pros and cons to Nick Ahmed playing uh, defense over at third base, and I think defensively he should be fine over there. I don't see why a guy who's one of the best defensive shortstop at one of the best defensive shortstops would not also be one of the better, at least above average, defensive third baseman in baseball. So I think he'll be fine defensively over at the hot corner. Another reason is just because if we move Ahmed over to third, now he could play Perdomo at shortstop and see what he has. And now the left side of your infield might be elite defensively because I think I'm still getting a good defensive third baseman, Nick Ahmed. And then Perdomo, he's basically the second coming of Nick Ahmed. Great defensive player can you know got a little pop got some speed probably going to struggle offensively but an elite defensive player so i think they're both kind of the that i think they're almost redundant but at least perdomo's a switch hitter so that will be nice offensively for the lineup where you got a guy in your lineup that can take a take advantage of the situation going on on the mound either way um but offensively you know We'll talk about that on the cons, but the ceiling might not be as high, but I really like the defensive ceiling with those two on the left side of the infield. And theoretically, it would make Nick Ahmed healthier because it wouldn't be as much wear and tear playing third bases as someone who's dealt with a lot of injuries the last few years. He's entering his mid-30s. He's just getting a little bit older. Do you want to keep Nick Ahmed fresh? I think third base is the way to go. And also, I think it would help increase his trade value because he's someone that's been labeled as a defensive wizard throughout his entire career. But now Nick Ahmed is also a defensive wizard at at third base as well while staying healthy. And maybe he gets a little bump in his offensive production. Maybe it's time to move Nick Ahmed at the deadline. I don't know. We'll probably have a discussion about it later on this podcast, I'm guessing. But I think he's someone that could increase his trade value playing third base. And Nick Ahmed is still a lefty specialist. He's still very good against left handed pitcher so I think that would be another strength to keep him in the lineup and put him over at third with a switch hitting Perdomo at shortstop but his numbers do crater against right-handed pitchers because that is one of the cons against Nick Ahmed even though he's elite or not elite even though he's very good against left-handed pitchers he struggles mightily against righties like I said before the team's offensive ceiling with him and Perdomo in the lineup it's just super duper low. I just don't think you'll get a ton of offense production with those two in the lineup because, like I said before, I think they're kind of redundant. So that would make me pretty hesitant having those two guys probably come back to back in the lineup. He's also going to be 32 with that injury history. With that injury history, Nick Ahmed is definitely a player that is slowing down at this point of his career, and he's also never played third base in his career. As surprising as that might sound considering how long he's been in the league and how many games he's played. He's never played third base defensively. So even though I think his defensive skills will translate over to the hot corner, 
we just haven't seen it. Like I was trying to look at it. I don't think he's, I didn't literally don't think he's logged one inning at third base. So it is a question mark. Like he's been a great defensive player throughout his whole career, but it would be a new position he's playing as he enters his mid thirties. Like that would be a real concern. Plus offensive numbers are just trending down across the board for Nick Ahmed. So how much do I want to keep him in my lineup overall? It's a pretty good question that we'll have to ask down the line. There's also just outside the offensive numbers going down, like average OBP, like, it doesn't really give you much pop or speed or any of the other stuff. Like a lot of guys, you know, hit 240 low OBP, but at least they might give you 20 home runs or at least they might steal you 20 bags. Nick Ahmed really doesn't provide anything offensively. He's pretty much an all defense type player at this point of his career. So it's just another knock against him. The fact that his offense really can't do anything for your lineup and you're just banking on his defense to carry his water weight, I guess, as a player. Now, the next candidate I want to talk about is going to be a hot option to play third base next season because this will probably be the most likely option I'm getting. Uh, I'm guessing. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I still haven't given you my conclusion yet coming up in segment number three, but it's Josh Rojas. If we had to start with the pros as we're going to do. He had the third best OPS among current D-backs from last season because I'm not counting Eduardo Escobar. Even though he played like half the season, I'm not counting him. So if we take Escobar out, Rojas, third on the D-backs last season with in OPS, and it was like a 750. It wasn't even that high of an OPS. He was behind Carson Kelly and, of course, Ketel Marte last season. But this is the big number for me when evaluating these pros and cons, especially when it comes to Josh Rojas. During his career, when Josh Rojas plays third base, his career batting average, 357, and his career OPS is 795. I don't know why, but Rojas absolutely crushes it as an offensive player when as an offensive player when playing third base. I don't know why. I don't know the rhyme or reason to it. I don't know if he gets into a better better rhythm. The mentality of playing third base helps his bat. I don't know what it is. I don't know if he feels like if he's playing a hot corner, he has to, you know, because he's a smaller guy, he has to play bigger. I don't know what it is. I'm not going to think too much into it. But when he's playing third base, he's a better offensive player. I don't know why that is, but I'm hoping it's a correlation between the two. Or I think it's correlation versus causation. I'm not too sure. But I'm praying there's a correlation between him playing third base and his offensive numbers going up. Hard contact rate numbers look pretty great in 2019, 2021. They dipped off in 2020, but which D-backs player didn't struggle during the shortened season? So I like that his hard contact numbers were pretty damn good in 2019, 2021, probably along the lines of what you would want from a third baseman. So I like that for Josh Rojas. He's also someone that has been walking more double-digit walk rate three straight seasons, and his OBP last year, 341, very, very respectable fourth best percentage last season i don't even know what i wrote down there fourth best percentage last season i have that written down in my notes what was the fourth best percentage last season i'm not too sure so we'll we'll disregard that note fourth best percentage last season i must have not finished that note rojas still only 27 years old so he's only a year older than a drew ellis he's gotten major playing time and experience already under his belt which i like a lot and you could Keep the platoon with Paven and Luplo going in right field if you put Rojas at third base, which would seem pretty good. This way, you don't have some trifecta of right fielders going on or, you know, make it more confusing with five outfielders in only three spots. If you got Varsho, Peralta, 
Rojas, Smith, I'm probably missing someone else. Luplo as well. So I think keeping him at third base could help ease the decision-making for who should be starting in the outfield as well. So I think Rojas is going to have a pretty strong case. But if you have to do the cons against a Josh Rojas, well, the first one is he was negative two defensive runs saved in 66 innings at third base last year. So right now he grades as a negative defender. But outside of Nick Ahmed, like who doesn't grade as a negative defender for this D-back squad right now? He actually performs against he actually performs better against right-handed pitchers, which is surprising. If you look at Rojas's whole career splits, his OPS and average is better against righties, or his, excuse me, it's better against lefties. Even though he's a left-handed pitcher, let me double-check that. But I'm pretty sure that's right because when I looked at that, I was like, how would Josh Rojas as a lefty better against lefties? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I'm gonna pull up. Rojas's career splits here and it says against right-handed pitchers 684 OPS 238 average against left-handed pitchers 271 average 736 OPS and those are his career splits not just last season his career split so he's someone that is better against lefties as a left-handed batter which is surprising so I put that down as a con maybe you think it's a pro I'm not really that I don't really have a strong opinion on whether that's a pro or con. I'll let you be the judge there. And then my Juana platoon, I put this as a con. Before I said it was a pro, you could put him at third base in the platoon, Pavin, and Luplo in right field. Well, maybe it's a con if you put Pavin in right field because he was a terrible defensive player last season, and he just doesn't do a ton for you offensively. So maybe you want to go with someone else at third base, and then this week a platoon, Rojas and Luplo in right field instead of doing the Pavin and Luplo platoon situation. If you think that Rojas and Luplo situation would be a better platooning, I don't want to say situation again, but if you think that would be a better platooning duo than what a Pavin and Luplo would be. So that's an interesting case for Rojas. I have a few more pros down than cons, but either way, he has a good case. Ahmed, I think, has a good case, and Drew Ellis as well. But there's still one more guy on my list of candidates who I think has a strong case to be a to be the third baseman for the D-backs next season. And he's actually not even on the roster right now. So who is that mystery man we're talking about? I'm going to tell you in segment number three. But first, I need to talk to you guys about BetOnline because BetOnline has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. As football continues, it's, it's March through the playoffs, right to the big game in a couple weeks. BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just football. BetOnline has up-to-the-minute info on pro and college hoops, NHL, boxing, UFC, along with live real-time updates of current games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the new amazing offers available for the 2022 season. BetOnline, where the game starts. Right, let's get back into the podcast. Hopefully, you guys didn't hear my stomach because it did a little growl right there. But I got one more candidate who I think could be the starting third baseman for the D backs next season. And the funny thing is, he's not even on the roster yet because he's currently a free agent. And I'm talking about Jonathan Villar. Now, this might not be the sexiest name out there. This might not be the guy you even want. Maybe you were hoping I would say Chris Bryant or something like that, but of course. 
you guys wouldn't be saying Chris Bryant because you guys are realistic D-backs fans and you guys know Chris Bryant is not realistic for the type of squad we have now. But I think a Jonathan Villar could be realistic because, as always, let's start with the pros. His numbers are pretty much the same versus lefties and righties, which I think is a pro because whether he's not someone that you have to platoon, I think is the best way to say it. he's not someone that you only have to put in the lineup when it's going against that cross matchup, when he's a righty going against a lefty or vice versa. This is someone that can play evenly both righties and lefties, which is always a pro in my book. Played also mostly third base last season. Villar, someone that could play second, third, shortstop, but he played mostly third base last season. So this is someone that is already accustomed to the position. Rojas is someone that played third base, but also right field, second base, shortstop last season. Drew Ellis, he's pretty new to third base. Nick Ahmed's never played third base in his career. So Villar, by far, would have the most experience of all the candidates on my list today playing third base. He's also a switch hitter. That's one of the reasons why his numbers are the same versus righties and lefties. Once again, just making it easier for you to not platoon him and putting him in the lineup every day. Uh, I mentioned before how Nick Ahmed struggles with offense in terms of batting average and OBP, but he doesn't really offer you anything else. Well, Villar is kind of the same way. Not a very high average, not a very high OBP or OPS, but 18 home runs and 14 stolen bases last year. You'll definitely take it. Villar used to be one of the best base dealers in baseball back in 2016, which is a very long time ago now. He stole 62 bases, but back in 2019, which is not very long ago, he stole 40 bases. So this is someone going to be 32, should still have a little speed left in the bag. 730 OPS for his career, his entire career when playing third base. 730 OPS, which is better than when he plays shortstop or second base for his career. And he's also just a good table setter. Villar is someone they could put at the top of your lineup as a leadoff hitter. Last season when Villar led off, 810 OPS and 275 batting average. I don't think the D-backs are set on one guy leading off for them next season. Maybe they go with Varsho. Maybe they go with, you know, their purest hitter in Ketel Marte. But if they win with a Villar, the numbers obviously back up that decision. But what are the cons against the Jonathan Villar? OPS was lower last year when playing third base as opposed to playing second base or shortstop. So I said before, his 730 OPS for his career was higher than his OPS for when he played shortstop or second base. But if we just took the sample size of 2021, his OPS was actually lower when he played third base as opposed to second base or shortstop. So is it gonna are his numbers going to be closer to when he played third base in 2021? Or is it going to be closer to his career marks where he thrived as a third baseman as opposed to struggle as a third baseman like he did last season. So it's a very interesting question for Villar. And just another guy that defensively, even though he can play a lot of positions, is he great at any of the positions defensively? Because negative four defensive runs saved last year, not very good. Speed has definitely diminished over the years because, like I said, 62 stolen bases in 2016, 40 in 2019, but only 14 this past season. Only 14 stolen bases this past season. Oh my God, why can't I talk? Only 14 stolen bases this last season, and he was caught seven times. So I think I could do that math, and it's not very good. Villar also 472 OPS last season with runners in scoring position. Usually, your corner infielders are supposed to be big RBI knockers, and Villar just wasn't that last season, which is kind of disappointing and he's basically 
a mix between an Escobar and a Jubal Cabrera. He probably falls right in between. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I put that down as a con because he's basically Escobar level production, probably even worse when you look at his batting average and OBP, but is also giving you less home runs as well. The only positive that is that he gives you more speed a more speed option than an Escobar. So Villar, he is an interesting guy, free agent. I would like to bring him in, can play multiple defensive positions, but he's someone that is trending downward at this point of his career. And where the D-backs are as a team and a franchise, I don't know if it makes much sense to bring in a Villar. I don't think he's increasing the ceiling that dramatically. So he might be someone the D-backs just pass on this offseason. So Who should start at third base for the D-backs? That's been the big question we've been circling around this podcast. So AZ Snake Pit speculated that Josh Rojas should platoon with the Drew Ellis, which I wouldn't really mind. I wouldn't mind seeing Rojas and Ellis platoon together at third base because your lineup would be very lefty heavy when it goes against righties. You would have Varsho in center field, Rojas at third, Peralta in left. Marte at second, and then potentially you could also have a Jake McCarthy in right field, and you can have Paven Smith at first base. So what is that? Five or six lefties in your lineup, and even if Paven Smith is in right field and Christian Walker's at first, like that's still a whole bunch of lefties in your lineup, and you'll still have a fully lefty outfield regardless if you have Paven at first base or not. Ellis, I just don't think will be ready for a full-time role think he probably needs a little bit more time I think he probably needs the platoon situation just because I don't think he's ready to be 162 game third baseman yet at this point of his career maybe he will down the line but I don't think 2022 he's ready to be an everyday third baseman for the D-backs but I think ultimately I think I want both Ahmed and Ellis platooning next season I know that sounds pretty weird but the days a lefty is on the mound you could put Luplo in right Ellis at third and Ahmed at shortstop, so you get your three right, so you get your three right-handed at bats. But when there's a righty on the mound, you can have a lefty in right field like a Rojas, or a lefty in right field like a Paven Smith or McCarthy. Rojas at third base, and then Perdomo at shortstop. So you can just have the ultimate cross matchups whenever you want if you're Tori Lavello. Because of Rojas's defensive versatility, it's easy to work him in the lineup. He's not someone that you have to struggle to find a spot for him because he can play literally all over the diamond. And because his numbers are actually better against lefties, you don't only have to play him when there's a righty pitcher on the mound. It's probably actually more advantageous to play him when there's a lefty on the mound, which sounds pretty crazy to say. At this point of his career, Ahmed, to me, is just the odd man out because I don't know if he's that much more valuable than a Geraldo Perdomo at this point of their careers because Perdomo, his best strength is his defense. Unless that turns into a weakness, I think they're kind of the same level of player. I think they're both kind of redundant. Like I said before, Perdomo is just basically Ahmed with a little bit more speed. Ahmed, don't get me wrong, is still good against lefties, but just craters against righties. I don't know if his glove is enough to make up the difference anymore. Villar? I mean, he's interesting, but he's definitely trending in the wrong direction like a Nick Ahmed as a player. And I don't think he raises raises the ceiling too much. He's probably a cross between Escobar and Cabrera, like I said, which I don't know if is a good or bad thing for the squad. At the end of the day, none of the options are great. But whichever equation or formula equates to Rojas 
getting the maximum amount of playing time. I elect for that option. I want the D-backs to lean in that direction. However, it gets Rojas to the most amount of playing time possible. Let's go in that direction, followed by Ellis and Perdomo, because I know what Ahmed is at this point of his career, and it might be time to start trying to shop him elsewhere. I want to see the D-backs be competitive next season, but I also want to see them play their young guys in Ahmed, unfortunately, is just in the way. Like whether the D-backs are a wild card or not next season, I don't think it's gonna. I don't think it's gonna hinge on how much playing time Ahmed gets. Like if Ahmed plays fifty games, hundred games, or one hundred fifty games, I don't really think it's gonna change the results of the D-back season too much. I want to know if Ellis could be a power hitting corner infielder, and I want to know if Perdomo is the next Nick Ahmed. Those are questions I will never have answered as long as as long as Ahmed is taking away like half their playing time. So Ahmed, one of the longest tenured player players ever in a D-backs uniform, literally second behind David Peralta in games played for guys who played their entire career in Arizona. Ahmed is second in games played, but it might be time to find Ahmed a new home in 2022. Now that's it for this edition of the Lock on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's edition of the podcast. Come back on Friday because we're going to do a crossover with Ben Caspic of Locked on Giants discussing Barry Bonds, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain. It's going to be a big what if podcast. So it's going to be a great time with Ben Caspic of Locked on Giants. Looking forward to that one. As always, thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day or not be doing this podcast without you, the listener. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. And go make your second listen of the day. Lockdown bets with your board cue and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. If you want to put some extra money in your pockets, because why would you not? And of course, as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!